So, normally at this point, I would hand over to another preacher, but I'm actually handing over, first of all, to myself. Like I say, we would normally have a different person hosting the meeting from preaching, but this week is a little bit different. Uh, and what we're doing is, uh, we, our plan is to do at least once a term, there will be an opportunity for people who haven't preached before uh, to have a go. And uh, rather than having uh, a whole morning just for one person, which is quite a lot of pressure, we, we split things up a little bit. So there are two slots today, um, and uh, we're using uh, the uh, end of our series on Elijah and Elisha. So uh, we're looking at 2 Kings chapter 13. Um, and uh, so I'm, I'm standing in to cover one of those slots. Um, and so you'll have a few minutes of me first, and then I'll hand over uh, to Matthew, um, which we're really excited about hearing uh, what Matthew's got uh, to share with us today. So, as I said, we're both going to be uh, speaking from 2 Kings uh, chapter 13. Uh, so, the first section I'm doing um, is uh, Elisha's last prophetic act. Uh, and then uh, Matthew will be covering his death and his actual last prophetic act. Um, but you have to wait and hear about that. So, first of all, Peter, uh, I think... Um, uh, Peter's very uh, kindly got the words for us up on the screen, uh, so you can follow if you want to up there. Uh, if you've got your phone or your Bible with you, uh, feel free to follow along there. Uh, so I'm starting, going to start to read at uh, verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 14 in 2 Kings. Now, Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows, and he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared. You will completely destroy the Arameans at Afek. Then he said, take the arrows. And the king took them. Elisha said to him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times, then you would have defeated Aram completely and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. So, that's my bit. It's a little bit strange. Wait for Matthew's bit. It gets stranger. <laughs> so our series is called uh, The Living God, uh, who works through people just like us. And uh, this... Uh, is from the books of kings, and uh, of course it, does, it is about kings, but it's actually much more about the prophets who speak uh, God's word to those kings, uh, Elijah and Elisha. And the Bible says they are men just like us, um, they are people just like us who uh, God uses. So we've had some amazing stories that have been really inspiring over the last uh, weeks where we've been looking into this. 
Uh, and uh, this one here is right when Elisha's about to die. Um, and it's the end of, end of his life. And he comes uh, to, the, the king summons him. I wonder, have you ever had a conversation with somebody who slightly intimidates you? Maybe it's because they're so quick, they're so bright, or they're so high-achieving in some way. A few weeks ago, uh, I went to a wedding, and the wedding was in Cambridge. Um, And at the reception, uh, I was at a table, and there was a Cambridge academic there. And he was a great guy, great fun, really fun to talk to. Um, And I quite like talking to people like this. I went to university in Oxford. I'm used to interacting in these kind of ways that, you know, um, academics like to talk. Uh, but he, he was particularly interested because like, his, his research was into utopia and dystopia. Do you get any more Cambridge than that? <laughs> <laughs> and as we talked, uh, we talked about uh, Cambridge and the fact that it can be quite an intimidating place. Um, and we got on to talking about imposter syndrome. So if you don't know what imposter syndrome is, imposter syndrome is, uh, is it's like having a feeling like you shouldn't be somewhere, that you don't fit in, um, maybe that you'll be found out and shown up, uh, or even that you don't deserve to be in the place that you are. At this point, uh, this guy asked quite loudly across the table, and very, very good-naturedly, so we were getting on really well, but he asked quite loudly, so... Where do you get your imposter syndrome from? (laughs) Fortunately, I don't get my imposter syndrome uh, from being at weddings. Uh, So I I talked about professionally having, you know, sometimes feeling like that. I want to suggest that in this passage here, Jehoash, uh, this king, has imposter syndrome. So he's the king, he's in charge, but he doesn't quite feel like he should be. And he doesn't really know what to do. So he summons Elisha to uh, come and speak with him. And he summons Elisha. He doesn't really think about Elisha's needs. He just thinks about his own. Elisha is really quite unwell at this point. And the king's asking him to do a job for him. So Elisha flips it round. Elisha says, I want you to do a job for me. And he makes it into a prophetic enactment of what is to come. And what happens in that prophetic enactment, there are two parts to it. Uh, The first part is the shooting of the arrow out of the window, and the second part is the arrows tapping on the ground. It is quite strange, but it reveals what's in the king's heart, and that is a reluctance to step up and to lead. For the first part, he actually, Elisha literally holds his hands to shoot the arrow out of the window. So he he, he manages that. But as soon as Elisha's hands let go of his hands, the king's confidence is gone. I want to ask you, this morning, where do you get your confidence from? There are all sorts of reasons 
that we can feel imposter syndrome, this feeling that we shouldn't be here, that we're not qualified, that we're not good enough. If we look at Jesus, he gets his confidence from his Father. No one held Jesus' hands when he did stuff. Jesus didn't hold other people's hands when he taught them to trust God either. We get our confidence from the fact that Jesus has gone first. Jesus has gone before us in everything. In Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 8, it says, It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. These words were written a long time before this king and Elisha had this meeting. The king is certainly not living in that truth about God. But Jesus knew this truth and he lived it himself. And for us, Hebrews, in chapter 10, it talks about the confidence that we have as a result. It talks about a new and a living way that Jesus has made for us. So what situations do you face where you might feel like you shouldn't be there or you're not qualified? This is an opportunity to lean in on God. We've already seen it this morning, like Natasha uh, coming and bringing a song from the front from the first time. Um, Andy uh, bringing a tongue. You know, is, is somebody going to bring an interpretation of that? You just, he's leaning in on God, trusting God. And we're seeing it with Matthew stepping out and, and preaching for the first time. When you walk in the way of Jesus, having complete confidence in his Father, and our confidence is not in ourselves and what we bring to the table, but in God and his power, God will show up and do amazing things as we trust him. So I'd like to invite Matthew. I'm going to switch mics uh, now, and uh, you can share with us the second part of the passage. Okay, thanks, Jonathan. So I'm Matt. I've been coming to KCC for about 10 years now. Um, I thought it might be useful to quickly recap what we've already covered in this series. So we started with Elijah, the Tishbite, suddenly coming on the scene in 1 Kings 17. And nobody really knows for sure where Tishbe is, so I don't think it was anywhere particularly special. Kind of helping us to remember James 5.17, that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And so the living God shows himself through Elijah to be a hearer of our prayers, a provider, supreme and present in a whisper. So Elijah, Jah, or Jehovah is my God. <laughs> with a name like that, I can imagine why the prophets of Baal didn't like him passed on his mantle to double-portion guy, Elisha. And the sign of uninterrupted ministry is God parting the, the River Jordan twice, once for Elijah to leave Israel and ascend into heaven, and then again for Elisha to return. And through Elisha, God is seen to be the one who blesses, who heals, who wins and delivers. And so the end of the story is in the last verses of 2 Kings chapter 13, starting in verse 20. So Elisha died, and they buried him. 
Now bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year. And as a man was being buried, behold, a marauding band was seen, and the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. And as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. Now Hazael, king of Syria, oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoaz. But the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion on them. And he turned toward them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and would not destroy them, nor has he cast them from his presence until now. So Elisha died and they buried him. Of all the sentences in the whole of the Bible, that's the first sentence that I get to speak about. (laughs) A bit abrupt, I thought. So all the things we've been hearing about Elijah and Elisha over the past few weeks, it all seems a bit of an anticlimax. It's quite neat and tidy, though. So just as, to us as readers at least, Elijah suddenly appeared, we find that Elisha here just departs. He died, and they buried him. A man just like us. But that's not quite the end of the story. So we read in the next couple of verses about a man who's resurrected when his body touches Elisha's. So this is ancient Israel. So burial was most likely in a tomb, either in a natural cave or cut out of the rock. And a stone was rolled across the entrance. And you'll kind of recognize this from the Easter story. So one tomb could serve a family for generations, they'd roll the stone away, place another body in the family tomb, and then roll the stone back. On this particular occasion, a man dies, and he's so ordinary, we don't even find out who his name is. During the burial, a marauding band of Moabites are seen on the horizon. The funeral party panic, roll open Elisha's tomb and throw this body in there. I've got so many questions. Where was this man's own tomb? Couldn't have been far away. Were they in such a panic that they literally just threw this body into the tomb, rather undignified? Did they even realise whose tomb they were opening? I don't know. I've only these few verses to go on. The important part is that the man was dead, but became alive again when he touched the bones of the prophet. So again, going back, in 1 Kings 17, we hear that Elijah resurrected the son of the widow of Zarephath. In 2 Kings 4, we hear that Elisha raised the Shunammite son. But this is different. This man was resurrected even though Elisha was himself dead. Elisha's spirit had departed, but the spirit of God, the spirit of salvation, remained. And remember, this is a double portion. I'm sure you know how important names are in the Bible. So we hear about Abraham, meaning exalted father, childless, was renamed Abraham, father of a multitude, 
Jacob, the supplanter, became Israel, wrestles with God, which predicted a way of life for an entire nation. So Elisha means God is my salvation. Salvation is the ultimate deliverance, deliverance from sin. And of course, we have a saviour, Jesus, who died on a cross to deliver us from sin. The name Jesus, or if you're Jewish, Yeshua or Joshua, basically means the Lord is salvation, would you believe? Just like Elisha. And in Acts 4.12, the Apostle Peter declares, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And that's how I know it's the spirit of salvation that was on Elisha's dead body. Salvation comes to us when we put our faith, when we throw our lives in whatever state they're in, into the hands of the one who died for us. Jesus, the spirit of salvation. So what am I talking about? What do I mean by salvation? Well, let me tell you a story. A lot of years ago, I was walking down quite a busy road, and I noticed that the bus had stopped right in the middle of the road, nowhere near a bus stop, for no apparent reason. And so I looked just ahead of the bus, and I saw this little girl stood in the middle of the road. So I did what probably anybody would do, across the road, and I scooped up this toddler as I went, and there I was, holding somebody else's child, and this beautiful kind of Down syndrome face was just grinning back at me, with absolutely no idea of the danger she was in. Because I had no idea who she belonged to or where she lived. So I just popped her back on the ground and said, where's your mummy? She couldn't tell me. She just walked past the next house and then turned into a garden. A front door flew open and both parents came running out and she ran to them. I didn't really have the heart to tell her parents exactly where I found her. (laughs) You could say that I saved that little girl. Her parents probably felt that way. But we're born with a tendency to go our own way, ignoring God's ways, God's laws in the process. For a lot of us, we have no idea what we're doing or where we're going, just like that little girl. And that's what the Bible calls sin. And the tendency to sin is called original sin because we inherited it from the original people, Adam and Eve. But God so loved us that he sent his son, Jesus, the spirit of salvation, to die on a cross and save us from our sin. I'd love for the band to start coming back right now. What do you need? Where do you need deliverance? Which part of you is crying out, where is the God of Elijah? Well, he's right here. He loves you. And he wants to meet with you. Maybe you need salvation. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. If that's you, well, we'd love to talk to you. If you came with somebody, you might feel most comfortable talking to them. But you can come and talk to me, probably come and talk to Jonathan. 
Or maybe you do know Jesus and this series that we've been doing has challenged you. You just don't know what to do next. Well, the same God that sent fire down from heaven, the same God that gave miraculous provision, the same spirit that raised a man from the dead through touching the prophet's bones is alive and willing to work in and through each one of us. Of course, he will guide you. So I'm just going to pray for all of us just before I hand back to the band. If any part of today has touched you and you need somebody to pray with you, come forward. There are people here that would love to do that. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Father, we've seen you at work throughout this series. We've seen you at work directly in our lives. But we want more. We want to partner with you as you work in this world. God, do something new in us. Equip us and send us out as we say, here I am, send me.